Welcome to the Can I Pick Your Brain podcast, where successful entrepreneurs get their brains picked so you can apply mindset tricks and game-changing tactics that will help you become unstoppable. Now, here's your host, Daniel Geffen. Hey, fellow listeners, and welcome to episode 41 of Can I Pick Your Brain? Today, I'll be picking the brain of Matt Miller. Matt is the founder of School Spirit Vending, a franchise vending machine business that has done over $12 million in sales and has helped schools raise over $3.5 million. Today, School Spirit Vending's fundraising program is helping thousands of schools across the US raise money while providing a profitable business opportunity for those seeking personal freedom and added financial security. Matt, welcome to the show, and thanks for letting me pick your brain. Hey, Daniel. Thanks for having me on, man. This is awesome. Absolutely. By the way, in the intro, the reason why I, I hesitated there was because I have in my, you know, I have there in the country. Uh, it's helping thousands of schools across the country, and I realized I don't live in the U.S. I live in Israel, so, <laughs> so I kind of, you know, uh, so I changed it to the U.S. last minute over there. But you, know, you have one hell of a story, Matt. In fact, um, you were an Air Force pilot for nine years. Um, can you tell us a little bit about why you decided to become a pilot and, and also why did you stop? You know, Daniel, it's funny. It was not something that had a whole lot of forethought <laughs> uh, <laughs> as part of the decision. I was in high school. I was in my junior year and I still hadn't figured out what I wanted to do for school. And a friend of my father's mentioned the Air Force Academy, which is uh, a military college, much like West Point or Annapolis in the U.S. And I'd never heard of it before, but he piqued my interest. I decided to look into it, and I had been doing all the right things academically and, and uh, extra extracurricular-wise to where um, I was really a perfect fit. So I ended up going to the Air Force Academy, not because I wanted to be in the military, but because it was a full-ride scholarship, essentially. Uh, mm -hmm. It gave me the opportunity to go to school in beautiful Colorado instead of in Illinois, where I grew up outside of Chicago. And uh, so the whole military thing was just kind of an afterthought, to be honest. Now, when I got there, it was a rude, awi rude awakening. Oh, really? <laughs> you know, sh showing up for basic training and and all those type of things, but I adapted over time and ended up doing well. Um, when I got to my junior year at the academy, we had to decide what our career path was going to be, and I found out that if I was medically qualified to fly and didn't want to be a pilot, I had to go talk to the three-star general who was in charge of the academy and tell him why I didn't want to be a pilot, mm -hmm. and I didn't. I didn't want to sit in a three-star general's office, so I became a pilot. <laughs> You're kidding me! I mean, that, that's how silly it really was. Um, looking back on it now, I, you know, I'm grateful for all the time that I that I had. Um, I got a chance to do things at a very young age that most people could only dream of doing, but uh, how, unfortunately, how, how it was you? not some big master plan. Matt, how old were you? Uh, let's see. I would have graduated from the academy at uh, 22, I would say. Uh, so, you know, at 23 years old, I was, you know, flying in the Air Force. Whoa. 
That's really, what was it like the first flight you took? That's what I would be interested in hearing about. You know, by the time you land at, on, in your first flight, your brain is so far behind <laughs> that uh, that you're still trying to process how the heck did I take off? Oh my goodness! <laughs> and, and the first flight is already over. <laughs> um, I was an instructor pilot for five years after my year of training, and that was one of the things that we had to you know constantly talk to the new students about: is Hey, listen, you know you're going to be way behind these first couple of flights. Mm-hmm. Trust me, your brain will catch up. But there's just so much new coming your way initially that uh, that you know it's a good thing that you've got an instructor pilot there with you. Let's just put it that way. Right. You must have made your parents really proud, though. I mean, you know, for them to say, "Oh, my son's in the Air Force," you know. Yeah, I mean, it was pretty. It was pretty cool. I, you know, everybody in my community um, knew, and you know, when I'd go home for holiday and all that. Um, yeah, it was it was pretty cool to be back because I had done something that very few in in my lifetime anyway had in the area that I grew up. Right. Do Do you think that being an Air Force pilot has helped you in your business career? You know, I would say yes, definitely. Um, of course, the two are very very different, but as a pilot, you live and die by the checklist. Mm. And, uh, you know, you've got to literally have a checklist that is strapped to your leg as you're flying with all the critical and emergency action procedures and checklist items. And so there's a before taxi checklist. There's a before engine start checklist. There's an engine start checklist. There's Mm. a before takeoff. Uh, and, And the reason for that is because there's so many little steps that are necessary to fly a flight safely that it's impossible for you and me to remember them all and to keep them all straight. Mm. So you carry that checklist and you follow it religiously. Well, in business, because that's where I came from, much of what I've done all along, not realizing it was because of that, is follow systems and and checklists and uh and put together processes to do things so that they were, could be duplicated over and over and over again flawlessly. And all that goes back to my time as a pilot, for sure. Mm, so it's basically all about a system. And once you've hacked the system and followed the procedure, there's, there's no reason to fail. Correct. Very cool. What I would only add to that, though, is that sometimes stuff happens i'm going to keep it censored because my my six-year-old sometimes listens to this podcast show so yeah (laughs) (laughs) so stuff happens and uh and you've got to kind of think out of the box a little you can't just look at your little you know checklist over there because you know it it, it's not got that sort of listed um and, and i feel like in business stuff happens and you've got to kind of you know think out of the box and, and sometimes the system isn't it, it doesn't help in those situations do you know what i'm talking about no for sure for sure i mean there's there's no answer to every situation but to have that foundation to go off of is is very valuable i'll give you a great example mm-hmm. i've hired a guy to help me out in my office several days a week and you know there's a lot of the tasks that he's doing right now that for me are old hat. I've done them over and over and over again. It's not a big deal. 
but for him it's not. So for him to have that system, for him to have that checklist essentially to follow mm. as he's going through them, to make sure that he does stuff correctly so that I don't have to be in the middle of it all the time is is really, really important. Eventually, he'll be to where it's not a big deal, and, and he's done it enough to where he doesn't have to rely on that nearly as much either. But initially, to have all that in place, that allows a transition of roles to occur much more quickly and smoothly mm-hmm. if you have that in place. Yeah, and what I love about that as well is that when you've got a system in place, you can remove yourself from the equation. And that's what Tim Ferriss uh, in his book, The 4-Hour Workweek, talks about as well, um, which I'm sure a lot of our listeners have, have read, and I'm sure you've read it. Have you, have you, you've read the book, right? The oh, four- yeah. I, I mean, if your listeners haven't, haven't read that, they need to, after they're done with the podcast, <laughs> yes. they need to get Tim's book. Absolutely. Not now. Wait till after we're done <laughs> right but what and what i what i gained from that and also there's a book called the e-myth um revisited by michael gerber uh, right. and of, of course I'll, I'll put these in all in my show notes uh for, for for you listeners to 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 get uh easy access to but uh michael gerber pretty much talks about working uh, on your business and not in your business and the way to he, he talks about doing that is again creating systems in place so that you don't have to be you know, there all the time. And, and essentially, that's what I've done with my businesses. Um, my businesses now run themselves, hence why I'm able to be sitting on this, you know, podcast show with you. Um, so, so, but we'll get into that more, in more detail later. But you left the Air Force and then you went into the, the corporate world as a salesman. And apparently, you got into trouble for being too good. Like, you, you were the second best <laughs> salesman in the company. And is that right? Yeah, I I think it was a couple of things. First off, you know, I think my boss thought that I got too many accolades too quickly, um, mm-hmm. being the new guy in the office. Um, and I think she also thought that, hey, he's got a book of business that looks like is going to continue to grow. So let's take a bunch of the quota increase that the office is required to take on. And let's just put it on the new guy because uh, that way it's not as difficult for everybody else in the office. The challenge was that my quota was increased over 90% the following year. Oh, holy cow. Uh, everybody else in the office had an average of 5 to 10% quota increase. Wow. So that decision put my family in a huge, huge financial hole. Now, looking back now, I'll never rely so heavily on one thing ever again um but you know we were out of the military and still trying to figure out this civilian world and all that stuff and uh it it was a you know put us in a bad place i i got to the point where literally um i got turned down for a payday loan daniel at a a payday loan place Mm -hmm. and you don't even have to have a credit rating for Uh that um, you just have to have a bank statement that shows that you didn't have any, you know, charges against your account for or fees. And I had had three overdraft charges the month before. Oh boy! So here I was, you know, just getting out of the Air Force, you know, and and couldn't even get a couple hundred dollars to to help pay a bill. So we we were in a pretty bad spot. I look back today though, and that bad spot was what inspired me to figure out the entrepreneur 
entrepreneurship side of things. And so because of that, I'm grateful for that, even though at the time it was not a fun place to be. So you, you were pretty much flat broke at that point. Oh, yeah. In fact, when I started my vending business, I literally had only about $100. Whoa. Um, I okay. found a used candy and gumball machine online on eBay for $36. <laughs> you know, the candy that went into it was about another 20 oh And then I had spent about $40 on eBooks on Amazon learning and teaching myself the basics of vending before I got to that point. Um, but that's all I had, literally, at the time. So I just want to highlight this for, for, for our audience and for our listeners because I get a lot of you know people calling me up and asking advice on business and how do you do this and how. And I just want to say two, two things. First of all, I th- you were like 40 years old, right, when you started your, your vending business? I was about 35 when I started the vending business. When I started School Spirit Vending, I was 40, correct. So you, you basically started, the, the, in other words, the business that you have um, grown successfully today, it is, it's, a, it's a, a multi-million dollar business, um, and that you started at the age of 40, right? Correct. And your original business, you started with $100 in your pocket. Yep. And you were married? Married with three kids. With three kids. Guys, who, who's, who's listening to this? Like, can you wake up and, 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 and can you hear this? Because here's a guy who had $100 to his name. He was married with three kids, okay? And he started his business, his successful business, only when he was 40 years old. So I, I, I don't want to hear like, I'm too old or it's too late or, oh, but I'm stuck in this job or, oh, I've got no money. Because listen to this guy. Listen to Matt. Here's you know, an example. The thing is, you got it. I made a commitment that I was going to do whatever it took. And to put that in perspective, I was, I started my vending business in and out of restaurants and businesses in my local area. Um, along the way, I needed more cash flow, even though I was working a full time job already. So I ended up becoming a pizza delivery dri- driver at night for wow. about 18 months during that. Um, I was active in my church, uh, you know, a dad of three, we homeschool our kids. So my life for a while there was way, 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 way out of balance, but it was all with intention. And to be honest, I didn't have a choice at that time. Mm -hmm. I could either roll over and wet on myself or I could (laughs) figure it out and get after it. And, um, I didn't want to stay where I was forever. So we, we got really busy and, and, and did what we needed to do. Uh, even though a lot of the time it wasn't a whole lot of fun to do it. You know, so that's amazing. I mean, there are guys in, in their 20s uh, and 30s who are single, not married. Um, they got all the time in the world. I mean, and and they've got more, probably, I would imagine, more than $100 in their pocket. So, you know, if Matt could do it, you can definitely do it. Um, what what I want to know, though, is, is you said you started a, a gumball machine business. I mean, there are so many businesses to start. Why, why gumballs? <laughs> it's like such a funny thing like hmm let me think what can i hmm, how can i make money Ooh, gumballs like- well to begin with i was collecting aluminum cans and then i sold used books on online for a while okay but the problem daniel was i had read robert kiyosaki's book rich dad poor dad that's another great um, book mm. and then and then read tim ferris's book later but <clears throat> I compared everything I was doing to Kiyosaki's thought process as far as passive income. Mm-hmm. And so even though those businesses that I did short term helped for a season 
to provide for my family. They weren't something that I wanted to do long term and they weren't creating that passive income because lifestyle was what I was really looking to create. Hmm. And so I did them for a short period of time, but I kept looking and I had a good buddy of mine from church one Sunday mention that he and his young daughters had bought a couple of gumball machines. And I remember that conversation and I was like, you know, uh, it's going to take a lot of gumballs for me to get out of the situation I'm in. Yeah. But the beauty of that, that is the, the machines do all the work. They do all the selling. So mm-hmm. I could keep my corporate career, continue to do what I needed to do full time to provide for my family. And then slowly but surely, as time and as capital allowed, put my vending business together on the side. By the way, my my boss and my peers at work never had any idea I was doing something else. In fact, the day that I put in my two weeks notice, mm-hmm. uh, five and a half years ago, was the uh, my boss. My boss was shocked because I was always one of the top performers in the office, and uh, he had no idea that I had other stuff going on. So I didn't let what I was doing impact what I was being paid for. Uh, I just burned the candle at both ends for a while and put this together outside of it all. Here's an interesting question, Matt, because a lot of people who are listening to this, they, maybe they have a job um, and, they're, and they're also running a business on the side as well. And I think a lot of the questions I get is, how do you know when it's right when the time is right to break away from the corporate, you know, the corporate job and, and go full time. I mean, how did you know that was the right time to do that? You were well, a top performer I'll as tell well. You, yeah, I'll tell you this. Most people do it way too early. Hmm. And I had seen some friends in the past that have left their corporate job to do uh, entrepreneurial ventures and it hadn't worked out the way they anticipated and they had to go back with their tail between their legs eventually and go back to the corporate grind. And I saw that and I was like, I am not going to do that. I want to make sure that this is as solid as it can be, that I've got money in the bank, that we're as close to being out of debt as possible because I want to make this transition one time and one time only. Mm-hmm. So I stuck at stuck with it a lot longer than many people around me suggested that I do or recommended. Um, I was making about five times more on the side as I was full-time take-home pay when I walked away from my corporate job. Wow. Um, Because I had a big responsibility. It wasn't just me. It was Amy and the three kids. And so I I needed to make sure that I did it right. And we still struggled for the first couple of years, even in that scenario. But um, yeah, I I would encourage people – to, to stick with it longer than you think you've got to do, just gut it out and, and, and make sure the timing is as right as it can be so you don't ever have to go back. Well, and, and not only that, but you started the vending business back in 2007. So when 2008 came along, that, I mean, that must have been rough, no? Oh, yeah, it was brutal because uh, our revenue numbers... Um, you know, in my restaurants and all that with my traditional vending business that I started initially went way, way, way down. That's one of the reasons why we started SSV was because I was looking for a revenue that was more stable 
And when the economy took a hit, uh, there weren't as many families and kids going out to businesses that I had equipment in because they were staying home because they didn't have the money. By the way, uh, well, for, for kids, the sake kids of all- have to be in school. So I knew that if I could get into schools, the kids were in America anyway or in school five days a week, nine months out of the year. So the economy really didn't have any impact on that. I just wanted to just, um, for the sake of the audience, you mentioned SSV. Can you explain what SSV is? Yeah, so SSV is School Spirit Vending, and that's the uh, the business that I run today. It's a franchise. We're in several thousand schools here in the U.S. currently, um, looking to expand outside of the U.S. later on this year. Mm-hmm. And um, we provide fundraising in a hassle-free way for schools by selling stickers of, of among other things. Stickers. So, so, so you went from gumballs to stickers. I mean, yep. my kids are going to love this episode. <laughs> <laughs> gumballs and stickers. I mean, how? how for, I want to get more into into the into the the first gumball machine before I go further. I've got a lot of questions here. It's very exciting. But um, I don't know if it's because of the gumballs and the stickers um, or the Air, or the Air Force One, you know, pilot. But um, can you can you describe the first gumball machine you purchased and where you put it and and because I, I really want to get into sort of like someone who's really just starting out, starting from scratch. What did you do, and how, how did you keep the how did you get the next gumball machine? You know, you had a hundred dollars. Okay, you purchased one gumball machine and and obviously a, a stack full of gumballs. Um, you probably looked at it and thought, well, how much can I charge for these gumballs already? How, mu- how much money? Like you mentioned it earlier, how am I going to support my family with, with I don't know, what do you charge, a quarter for a gumball? Yeah, a quarter a gumball. Um, the, the machine was used and I had, like I said, bought a couple of books on Amazon and, and it kind of taught myself the basics of vending. I, I'll never f- forget, I picked up that machine from a gentleman across Houston. We were living in Houston at the time. One Saturday morning in my little Honda Accord with my two oldest kids in the car with me and picked his brain a little bit. And then the next Monday after I got done with work, I literally went out and started going door to door from business to business trying to figure out how to get that machine placed in a location. Do you remember how many businesses you knocked on before you got a yes? It was probably 20. 20 or 30 to start with. Um, you know, I really didn't have my, my, my pitch down at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a lot I needed to learn about the area and, and, you know, business owners and what their thoughts were and all that. Of course, the numbers got better over time, but I ultimately ended up getting my first location in a karate studio <laughs> on the northeast side of Houston where I lived. And um, I... It was funny because th- those size machines normally don't need to be serviced, but every six or eight weeks. But after two weeks, Daniel, I was chomping at the bit wanting to know oh. how well the machine was doing. Right. And so one Thursday night, I went by the karate studio. It was packed with kids taking karate classes. I put the key in the machine and opened it up, and their quarters literally spilled out all over the floor. Oh, wow. And that I must was have like, felt amazing. I was like, Holy smokes, this thing actually works. <laughs> I think you were about to say something else there, right? <laughs> yeah. So, uh, thankfully, 
you know, I was able to take that money and then go back a, a week or so later, had a few dollars I could pull from my paycheck. The guy that I'd gotten the first machine from had several, so I went back and bought a couple more from him then. Mm. And I literally, with cash flow over the next year and a half, put this thing together. To give you an idea how creative I had to get, mm-hmm. about a year into it, I, I, it, I had some guys tell me about sticker machines and this and that, and I had never used one, but I figured, what the heck, I'll try getting involved in the sticker business. So I lived in Houston. Tulsa, Oklahoma is about an eight-hour drive north of Houston. Mm-hmm. And on eBay, I found a guy who had two uh, sticker machines that were brand new that he was wanting to sell. <clears throat> I ended up being the winning bidder. Uh, he wouldn't ship them, so that limited the amount of people that were interested in buying them. And uh, I paid $350 for those machines. Now, I had already checked online and found out that brand new, each of those machines was worth about $350. Wow. So okay. I took a picture off of the eBay listing of the one that I didn't like the look of as much. I set up my own eBay listing, and within a couple of days of winning that, that other auction, I had sold one of the machines for 350 bucks. So when I made the trip to Tulsa, the, the two machines were already paid for. I just had wow. to pay for gas and for my time. That's amazing. I, came, I, I went and picked them up, brought them home. Two days later, the guy who bought the one from me there in Houston came and picked up the one machine. And I started in the sticker business having my first machine cost me virtually nothing. Uh, because once again, I didn't have a bunch of extra money. So I had to get really really creative and uh um in fact that first machine is still out in one of my schools today no still way. producing bringing in revenue uh you know month after month after month how probably, much do you think what, how much 12 you think, years or so later how much do you think that machine is uh as as made for you in total Wait. wow uh <laughs> probably eight ten thousand dollars and you bought it for practically nothing correct how many of these machines do you have scattered around the U.S.? Well, our team of franchisees has several thousand of them out wow. there. I, I work in and out thousand. of thousand. Holy cow. Yeah. That's yeah. incredible. And how many franchisees do you have? Uh, we've got just shy of 70 today. So 70. That's amazing. So you've got 70 people basically working their butts off and you're cashing in. Well, they're cashing in the most. I'm saying they're cashing in, but you're cashing in. I get a small royalty from what they do. And, of course, we provide all the support and, and the systems and everything, the product and all that for, for the team. So it, it's a win-win. They, they take the majority home. I get just a small piece of everything they do because I put the system together and, and took all the risk at the b- very beginning. But why go from gumballs to stickers? I mean, isn't it the same? Why I don't I don't get the transition. The main thing was that you know candy and that type of thing in the school environment is not allowed. So, uh, and I was looking for something that would allow me to do business in the schools. And in yeah. the U.S. anyway, most of the schools have a mascot, and they've got you know a a, a logo and team colors and all that, that they kind of rally around. So the whole idea was to create custom mascot stickers for the school mm, that 
that would go in our machines. And uh, that was kind of the foundation of it all. And is you know, generating and increasing school spirit and raising money for the schools at the same time. So, first of all, how much money can you make already selling stickers to kids? You know. Well, we've sold 32 million stickers in the last nine years. Holy cow, so. 32 million stickers. <laughs> My goodness. And, and, and also, how did you, what do you mean when you say you raised money for the schools? How are you raising money for the schools? If the kids are buying the stickers, you're getting paid the, the, uh, the schools get a portion of the revenue that comes out of the machine in exchange for allowing us to to set up business there. Wow, so that's a real win-win-win situation. You got, you're gaining, the kids are gaining, the school's gaining, everybody's happy. Correct. Oh, I love it. I love it. And, and you mentioned earlier also about getting the kids off the street. I mean, how do you manage, what, what did you mean by getting the kids off the street? Well, I got the idea because I had some kids come knocking on my door selling me stuff to raise funds for their local school and the kids were about the same age of, as my kids they didn't have any adult supervision and I thought it was odd that here were kids you know knocking on strangers doors around the Houston Texas area mm. uh, essentially being salespeople for the school so that was one of the you know things that went into my thought process is you know maybe we can get some kids off the street by bringing more of the fundraising in-house and so that's where the, the you know the whole idea came from well uh, you know what's amazing actually about your, your your story is that you didn't just put up a dozen vending machines and then stop there you know you, you saw the bigger picture and you created a whole franchise model what would be your advice to the people listening who would like to create some sort of a franchise model so they can basically exponentially scale their businesses the first thing is you have to prove concept. You have to prove viability and profitability. I think too many people, they come up with an idea and the first thing they want to do is franchise it. Well, you got to remember, you know, you're then asking people for their money to buy into your concept and they're not going to buy into it blindly. So make sure you take time to prove <coughs> your concept works. And that it's profitable and that you have a track record. You know, I was in business for seven and a half years with SSV before we became a franchise. So we've only been franchising uh, just shy of a year and a half. Oh, wow. Before that, before that we had a distributorship and licensing model, um, mm -hmm. which isn't as structured here in the U.S., um, we found out that there was a bunch of states in, in America where we really needed to be a franchise to do business there. And as we were expanding, it, it became necessary to make that transition. Um, but, you know, we had seven and a half year track record. Now, I'm not saying that you need to wait seven and a half years. I could have become a franchise if I had thought about it, uh, you know, probably at the two or three year point. But the reality is you've got to prove concept and not just have an idea because people aren't going to pay you thousands of dollars to be a part of what you do unless there's proof that they have the ability to make money with it as well mm. let me ask you a question i think a lot of people who you know they understand the franchise model but sometimes i guess they think well why would i give a portion of my business 
to somebody else when I could be making the profits that they're making? You know, you, you just said you're, you're only getting a small piece of the pie. What what do you think about that? Why would you give away a piece of your, you know, pie to somebody else? Because we shorten the time to success. See, our, our franchisees don't have to go through all the struggles, the ups and downs, the figuring of this whole model out. Now, Matt, I'm talking about I, the other way around. I'm talking about not not why they buy. I get why they buy into you because they're oh, okay. they're, they're getting a business in the box. They're basically getting a full fledged business ready to go off the shelf. But for you, why are you giving away your potential? Um, profits, right? Saying you could technically scale it out on your own without the franchisees and you could be getting all of those profits for yourself. Why would yeah, you? I, I saw a guy, Daniel, uh, he owns a, or he's the head of a company called Coinstar here in America. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if they're anywhere outside of the US. But anyway, um, at, when I saw him on a TV show here years ago, I'll never forget. He was dressed in a suit. He had the cufflinks. He had the tie <laughs> as tight as it could be. Um, at the time, the company was a $100 million company. And I, and I don't know him. This is all just my speculation and my gut feeling after watching that interview. That business owned him. And I didn't want a business to own me. I didn't want to have hundreds of employees. I didn't want to have to deal with all that. And what I found along the way is that owners take much better care of things than employees do. So why not set up a model to where owners, that being the franchisees, can share in, in what we do? <clears throat> yes, it t- it's taken me longer to get where I want to be, and it isn't nearly as profitable for me with my franchisees as it is in my own schools that I still have to this day. Mm-hmm. But scalability is much more simply accomplished. And once again, my whole goal was to have a lifestyle. You know, I'm talking to you right now outside at a pool at a hotel in Austin, Texas. <laughs> the family, we're on a vacation right now before my two oldest go off to college for this semester. And I didn't have to ask anybody if I could go. I didn't have <laughs> to do anything except for coordinate the schedule. Right. No, that's incredible. Uh, did you ever have like any, uh, comp- I can imagine you probably had like people wanting to compete and, and wanting to like also you know, do something similar um, in the schools. I mean, it, it sounds like a great business model and, uh, and I'm assuming you weren't the only one, you know, doing it. Did you have any turf wars or any competition to deal uh, with? We've got some that's popped up here and there. Most of the time they're just, you know, s- single operators that that have a very small business and um, there's plenty to go around to where um, you know we try to coexist peacefully with folks um, and not tread on their their area and vice versa and we've succeeded very effectively so far in doing that Mm -hmm. Um, because the goal once again is to develop stability of of a business for all of us and and the competition included so um, We've, we've willingly coexisted with them. Um, in fact, we're their supplier for some things, and they're, they're our supplier for other things, believe it or not. So we've, we've found a way to coexist uh, very effectively. 
It's amazing. And how, how could someone listening to this who is growing a business, let's say they're selling insurance or, or even a consultant, how can they apply what you've done in your vending business to their businesses? You know, first off, the systems like we've already talked about, Daniel, you know, if they want to scale and they think that the whole franchise idea is, is possible, you know, they, the systems are even more important because you're selling those systems to, to a, a potential, you know, franchisee on down the road, like you said, a, a business in a box. So you've got to make sure that your business has the ability to scale in that way that uh, that what you're doing is special enough that people would want to pay for it. Um, I never thought in my wildest dreams that that people would want to, you know, to pay to be a part of what we do today. But mm-hmm. it's amazing. We've got a, a pipeline of of people that we're interviewing right now a mile long um, in parts of the U.S. because people get excited about the idea of of doing a business that can help out in their local community, uh, a business that only takes a limited time commitment to build so that folks have the opportunity to continue with their career for a period of time uh, if they choose to, or just to do this on the side you know, forever is really up to them. But to have a secondary income stream that they don't have to jump off a cliff and hope <laughs> they survive as purely an entrepreneur is very appealing to people. We also spend a lot of time, uh, you know, my family has been very, very involved in our business from the very beginning. And uh, so our whole business is involved, has evolved around families and, and putting together businesses as families. Uh, there's a lot of folks out there that would love to do something with their kids. And of course, their corporate career and other things that they do, the kids normally just, don't, they're just not a part of of day to day, they're not really welcome. Mm. Um, we're trying to teach multi generational entrepreneurship with what we do, and there's a lot of folks out there that that has a huge appeal to them because of that. Well, I could tell you right now that I, I I would I would love my son. He's eight years old. My oldest son is eight years old. I could see this business for him. I mean, going into uh, you know his school and starting with a little vending machine. I mean, that would be amazing if I can get him to do something like that um and instead of playing angry birds or whatever they play these days <laughs> yeah. you know, it's like one let, let him make some some money at least and uh you know he wants an ipad so let him let, you know let him earn the ipad let him work for it let him because because i feel like kids these days i, I mean i'm 32 so I, I sound like a grandfather talking like this but it, but <laughs> but I, i'm sorry but i do feel like a grandpa compared to compared to the kids um but kids these days they like sit there playing these you know with their fingers swiping this way and that way and i can't even imagine how they're going to earn money because everything just comes to them and the mindset has to change like my son i I took my son out for pizza yesterday and uh, i said to him okay we're going to start like a savings account for you in a little we're going to give him a little box and every time he does like something that's difficult in the house like a chore or something uh, that he finds difficult we'll pay him like you know whatever it is uh, the equivalent of of a dollar or not, not a dollar but like you know 50 cents or something like that and he got really excited it was like for him it was like a game and so yep. he went he went right we, we came home the minute we got home he ran upstairs and then we have this big playroom with all the toys everywhere he starts cleaning up the playroom and saying okay i'm, I'm gonna get 50 cents for the uh to clean up the playroom <laughs> 
And my, my wife just looked at me like, what the hell is going on? And I was like, this is great. Like, you know, instead of him sitting in, in, in front of an, an iPad or an, an iPhone, swiping his fingers around, you know, here he can actually do some, you know, help us out in the house and he can learn what it means to earn money. So I think this is really good. I, I love what you're doing. And um, the only thing I could say is you really keep it up, Matt. I'm, I'm very inspired by you. And um, how, how could my listeners get in touch with you? There's a couple ways, Daniel. First, if they just want to reach out and just find some more basics out about vending in general, they could just email me, matt, at ssvbusiness.com. Otherwise, I did write a short ebook called Live Your Dreams, The Top 10 Reasons Why You Should Own a Vending Business. And if they want to go to a landing page we've set up specifically for your audience, they can go to ssvbusiness.com forward slash pick your brain and download that for free and uh we can start a dialogue if they like otherwise hopefully uh the ebook will give them some inspiration to to maybe consider vending with the other things that they're up to wow loving it matt i'm gonna put the uh that link in my show notes again so um for you guys listening in um just click on that link and you can download the ebook matt this has been incredibly inspiring thank you so much for letting me pick your brain Thank you to all my fellow listeners. I'm looking forward to the day when I'll be picking your brain. You've been listening to the Can I Pick Your Brain podcast. Inspiration without perspiration is like a tiger without teeth. So to put these ideas into action, head over to danielgeffen.com.